Welcome to the Redemptions Hill Sermon Podcast. For more information, feel free to visit our website, redemptionshill.com. All right. Well, I hope that you are doing well. We find ourselves today uh, nearing the end of the Beatitudes, right? That's the section that we're in from the Sermon on the Mount. And as as we kind of sit nearing the end, I hope that we can see that this is a beautiful and unique section of Scripture where Jesus is doing something altogether different. Like there's never been anything like what he did. So leaders have come and gone in his day and now, and they present ideas and and thoughts and trajectories. Some uh, present them in a provocative manner. Uh, Some use intellectual discourse to bring their ideas. Some come in like a wrecking ball um, with power and dominance. But no matter how they come onto the, the scene, their message or their vision for the world has never been one like Jesus has brought to to us when he began his earthly ministry. Jesus came to do something different because he came to do something that was utterly impossible for mankind to do on their own. That, that's what we need to grasp. He is showing us his kingdom. This is what I'm bringing. I'm bringing my kingdom, the kingdom of God brought to earth by God and only made possible through God and that makes everything different. In other words, what Jesus is doing is so foreign to anything that the world has ever seen because it was something that we all realize is impossible for us to do without him. In essence, this is part of the beauty of the loving father that we have. He steps in to recreate the world that was created in the beginning by bringing the means for redemption and pardon from our sin so that people could receive his grace and live as recipients in his new kingdom, something that just was never possible before. What we need to understand then is these Beatitudes, uh, if we're tracking with them, they're not separate statements about what certain people will get for their certain types of of actions. This type of person will get this, and this type of person will will get this. No, the Beatitudes are actually, if he's presenting his kingdom, bringing something around new that only he can do, and only through his sacrifice, he's showing us in these Beatitudes a progressive revelation of what he came to do in every single believer or every person who would follow him. Jesus came to create what our efforts could not. And that's why the Beatitudes are kind of mind-blowing when we wrap our minds around it that way. He came to do something that our sin would not allow. He came not just to get people out of hell, but he came to bring people into his kingdom. And those are very, very different ideas so that we can live a new way under a new king, living in the blessing of what he has done for us and what he invites us into. And that probably brings about maybe a little bit of a question in, in the back of our minds that we have to wrestle with a, a little bit. And that question for all of us is this, do I really want to live under King Jesus in his kingdom? Am I interested in that? Or, or is that of little value for me? It's important to examine that question because the question is not, do I want the blessings of that king? That's not the question. The question is, do I trust him enough to believe in and walk out the life that he invites me to in the Beatitudes or or do I not? Do I trust him or do I not? And that's kind of the hope is that we'll wrestle with that question together. 
that we wouldn't fall into like this behavior modification, but if there are ways that we don't trust him or part of these beatitudes, you're like, I don't know if I want that, that we would ask the Holy Spirit, will you help me with this because I'm having problems trusting you in that area and that we would all grow in trusting and believing and walking in the kingdom that he has invited us to. That's the kind of big hope as we're bringing this together. So Matthew 5 We'll read one through nine this morning. We've just added one each week as we've added a beatitude. So seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain and when he sat down, his disciples came to him and he opened his mouth and he taught them saying, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And today, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. This is the word of the Lord. We... We've done a lot of work in this series already to show how the Beatitudes work and that each of them kind of build upon the last. And and they work together in these ways that there's actually a flow through the Beatitudes and then there's a a symmetry in the Beatitudes that we're gonna look at a little bit today. The flow part uh, shows this. The first three Beatitudes are the ones of, of need. This is the flow of them. These are all the things that we need ourselves. We need to see that we are poor in spirit, empty handed, we come before for the cross. There's nothing that we can do for our sin on our own. We are those who need the, the, the intervention and the salvation of a, of a redeemer. We have no capital to buy ourselves out of where we are. That's the entryway that we need to understand. Then we need to get to a place of mourning over our sin instead of denying it and justifying it. We have to know who we are and then we have to look at what we have done. And then we need to allow ourselves to become meek instead of lashing out like the world does. Part of this meekness is not to be weak. It is actually to have your strength harnessed like uh, like a bridle on, on a horse. Can God guide your power or are you bucking him all of the time? Meekness is to say, I will trust you enough to let you guide and to lead me. These are the needs and they bring us to the fourth beatitude. This is maybe the center of the beatitudes in many ways. Once we see clearly kind of who we are and what our needs are, then we hunger and thirst for Christ to change us. We hunger and thirst for for his righteousness because we want to look more like our savior. We want to be like him. We want to follow him. We want him to rule over our hearts. And this hunger and thirsting for righteousness, it isn't a a facet of duty or obligation. It's not a, I better hunger and thirst for this or, or else. It's I trust you enough to hunger and thirst for what you tell me to follow after because I want to believe in you and follow you because I believe that that is the better way. So the flow is that our needs expose who we are and that leads to a desire change. Then this tail end where we've been the last couple weeks and where we're at today is the Beatitudes of action. This is important. Christ didn't come to just change how you think about yourself. He didn't come just to tweak or mold your hopes or your desires just a little bit. He came to change how you live. In every single facet of your life, this is the beauty of the Beatitudes. He came to change your head, your heart, and your hands. What you think, what you need, what you want, and what you do, all of those things, Jesus, when he invites us into his kingdom, are things that change. Now, 
We've got a slide about symmetry. The, the next one on there would be super helpful. There we go. Uh, here's another part of how these Beatitudes work together that, that is a little bit helpful for us to kind of see Beatitude 1, being poor in spirit, right? That's the need. I am poor in spirit. I cannot buy myself out of this situation. That leads into the action of becoming number five in the Beatitudes, merciful. How does that work? Once we see we have no capital to fix our brokenness, that we were slaves to our sin and we had no way out on our own with no hope to fix ourselves, then when we see other people hurting, especially because of their sin, or when we get the upper hand, we don't destroy them. We go, I've been there before. And we give them grace like Christ gave us in our poor in spiritness, right? When you see who you really are, there's an empathy that happens towards other people and you don't destroy them when they act just like you. Then Beatitude uh, number two, our mourning, leads into the action of being pure in heart. And this one's important too. The goal isn't to just sit and sulk in your past sins and failures. Oh, I'm a terrible person. Oh, I can never do anything. Oh, I always mess up. That's not the point. You have to see the reality of your actions, view the magnitude of your actions properly, and let that lead you into the action of asking God to purify your heart. Mourning leads to a desire of purity, not just sitting there sad all the time. Again, the mindset leads to a desire change and then action change. And lastly, Beatitude 3 of meekness leads into the action of peacemaking, the one that we're in today. It's also, it's not just that we refrain from going nuclear on everyone around, right? We we could say, well, meekness is just not destroying everyone. No, it needs to lead into peacemaking. It's not just that we hold the fire inside of us. Instead of letting it out, we actually become ones who help put out the fires of conflict. Meekness leads into the action, the, the, the verb, the intentional pursuit of peacemaking. That's what Jesus talks to us about today. Blessed are the peacemakers, If you weren't catching it, if you were a follower of Christ, you're called to be a peacemaker, for they shall be called sons of God. Now, timing is an interesting thing, um, especially with this text in mind. I sat with with Allie, my wife, watching the presidential, if you can call it presidential, (laughs) debates on Tuesday. And as I watched, it was clear that our political system is not about peacemaking. It is about winning Our political system is about beating the other guy at whatever cost, even if it's about talking about their children. This debate was by no means a turning point in that revelation. It just was like an exclamation point on that point. Our political system is only about devastating the other side. Both of our political parties are playing a game that works for themselves. So um, remember the line, one country indivisible under God. I don't even see a shadow of that anymore. And that's not a we need to be God's country again. It's just more of we look like my party divided and you're Satan if you don't agree with me. That's what we look like. I think there can be little doubt that peace isn't an issue on the table for those who lead our political system. Now, the fact that this debate was so combative and anti-peacemaking, that isn't really a surprise to me, and I don't think it probably is to you either. It's maybe just jarring to see it that clearly. Normally, they hide it just a little bit. There was no hiding of it there. But it does serve to show us why the Beatitudes are so crucial to understand. We'll aim at trying to, to, to maybe understand more of that by, by asking this question, what is wrong with our country right now. What's wrong? 
It seems that the left points to the right and says, they're what's wrong? It's those guys. The right points to the left and says, it's those guys. They are the problem. And maybe we sit here and maybe we're issue driven. No, the problem with our country is income inequality, systematic racial inequality, police systems and crime prevention. Maybe, maybe one of those are your issues. And while all of those maybe are possible, the New Testament the biblical answer for what is wrong with the United States is the same answer for what's wrong with the entire world. It is sin. Before you dismiss that as too basic or simplistic, let's zoom out. Why do we go to war? Why do the nations rage? Why does conflict always seem like it's so close by? Well, the answer to that again is sin. Sin is the major issue. Uh, Of course, in public discourse, if someone asked us out in the world, maybe we'd be a little gun shy to give that answer because we're afraid that we'd get shamed or or, or we're just told that we're too, too dumb to really understand the bigger issues. But biblically, the problem is definitely sin. It works like this. Our sinful desires, our wants, our feelings, our entitlements... They cause us to live for them and through them. And if someone challenges them, if they threaten them, we lash out. Look at the book of James. See, this can be as simple as I really want this, that person challenged that. And it can be as simple as giving them a harsh word because I don't like that you challenged what I want. And it can be as complex as going to war. It's still all about our sin though. We sinfully respond to what we want being threatened. Which again might make the Beatitudes make a lot more sense. If we all hungered and thirsted for righteousness, like yearned for it deeply, sought out Christ through his spirit, asking him and allowing him to to mold us, Father, make me more like the Son. Well, wouldn't that lessen our sinful desires? And if our sinful desires were lessened, wouldn't that also lessen the trauma in the world because we wouldn't lash out on as many people over our sinful desires that we hoard? The Beatitudes in this way become incredibly theological and doctrinal as we realize that all of man-made issues, right, all of the big ones of man-made issues would be resolved if each man, woman, and child were merciful, pure in heart, and peacemakers. Again, you might go, well, that's too simplistic, is it? Could you refute that if every man, woman, and child was merciful, pure in heart, and a peacemaker, that all of our major problems wouldn't, all of our major man-paid problems wouldn't be gone? Where would racism be if we were all peacemakers? It would be a distant memory. Where would police brutality be? Where would the political system be? Where would rioting be? Where would active violence be? The point is they would all be gone if every single person was serious about the actions in here of being merciful, of being pure in heart, and of being a peacemaker. Now I realize that on this side of eternity that's not going to happen. But, hear me, as believers we have to realize that we are called towards living towards that right now. Right? That's a part of what it means to follow Christ in the world right now. We cannot control what every other person around us does, but we can pause our blaming of issues on other people for long enough to take a look at ourselves and go, am I being merciful? Am I a peaceful man? 
Do I care about purity or not? See, that, that's the call for us. It's so easy to blame everybody else. They're the problem, they're the problem, they're the problem. Christ gives us the ability to go, hey, what about your own heart? And when we do that, which let's be honest, it's a scary proposition because looking deeply in our own heart, sometimes you find things that you don't like. But when we do it, and maybe you were surprised to find out, man, I'm not a, I'm not a very merciful person. Or I, I, I don't care about peacemaking. Like when that happens, well, don't worry. Why? Because it just drives us back to the truth that we already knew. What was that? That we're poor in spirit. Beatitude number one, our failures don't leave us without a savior. They just prove that we need one. See, the scariness of of seeing our imperfection should never stop us from looking and asking God to change us. It just starts the cycle over. Got him back to the poor in spirit thing. I know. I know. Here, come on. Let's hunger and thirst for righteousness again, though. Will you follow me? Now, what exactly is peacemaking? Because I believe that, that our definitions of, of peacemaking would actually probably be pretty interesting. The, to, to ask what is peacemaking, we'll, we'll maybe begin by understanding what it's not. Peacemaking is not being a, 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 a peaceful, super calm, chill dude or dudette. That is not peacemaking. Peacemaking is not being inoffensive, cowardly, or a pacifist. That's not peacemaking. Peacemaking is not peace-loving. Hear the difference. Peace-loving is being fond of the idea of peace, but literally doing nothing about actually seeing peace come about. Peacemaking is not being a peace-wisher. What's that? Well, I, I genuinely desire for the world to have more peace, but again, I don't do anything towards it. Peacemaking is not compromising justice and truth in order to keep people from being mad at each other. And peacemaking is not being one who prioritizes peace above all else in life. See, most of those things are are kind of normal dispositions, meaning you can love peace or be a super calm person or, or literally lie to keep the peace all on your own strength. You don't need Jesus to do that. But peacemaking, that's an altogether different trait. Sam Storm says, a peacemaker is he or she who seeks to extinguish flames of strife and disharmony. See, that posture is extremely different from the posture of the world that we see. We don't see many people looking to extinguish the flames of conflict. What do we see? We see a lot of people looking to extinguish their enemies. I don't want to finish war. I want to finish you. This is how our world does things. We see a lack of meekness yield a complete dismissal of peacemaking. Martin Lloyd-Jones says this, the peacemaker is both active and passive and negatively and positively one who would not only not make trouble but also goes out of his way to produce peace. That's a hopeful word, uh, word because peacemaking, we can many, maybe see one side. Peacemaking isn't just not starting wars and conflicts on your own. A lot of people stop there. Well, I didn't start any stuff with other people, so I'm a peacemaker. No, maybe you're just not a jerk. That doesn't make you a peacemaker. 
See, peacemaking isn't just putting uh, water on fires of conflict. It's actually being one who looks to make sure fires don't start before they even break out. And if they do break out and you can't stop them ahead of time, then you move in to extinguish them if possible. That means peacemaking is not a passive thing. It's an active one. That also means that Enneagram number nines don't automatically get to claim peacemaking as their spiritual gift. Peacemaking is to be fearless enough to rush into conflict, not in the pursuit of winning, dominating, being right, or the morality police, but in the simple pursuit of squashing every kind of conflict when possible. It's like becoming a, a firefighter in the realm of conflict. Peacemakers rush in and act to put out flames. Mind you, rush in doesn't literally mean don't think and run in. It just means that you take intentional action and timely action to move in and stop strife and disharmony whenever you can. That reality is scary, though. Think about that. Being called to be a peacemaker is to enter into conflict, not as party A or as party B, but as the party that comes in and goes, stop. be a peacemaker in the middle of conflict, it's difficult because it's going to rub into your fear issues and mine. What are our fear issues? Well, they're the things that we normally try and avoid, like our fear of man. Well, what if people get mad at me for trying to bring peace? What if people don't like me? And what if they get mad at me because I didn't take their side? What if people turn their anger against me and I was just trying to stop these two people from fighting and now they're mad at me? It rubs into our fear of, man, what if this happens to me if I get in? So it's easier if I just stay out. It will rub against our fear of man. Peacemaking will also challenge our fear of a loss of comfort. It's uncomfortable to enter into zones of conflict. Why? Because you may catch fire yourself. And a lot of times it's easier just to ignore what's going on and say, thank God I'm not in that rather than to enter in. A needed note about peacemaking must be covered before we go much further. Romans twelve eighteen says this, if possible, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. If the text says, if possible, live peaceably, then that means that we can deduct that there are times when it's not possible where peace isn't an option. To be a peacemaker doesn't make you an absolute pacifist because there will be times that to quote-unquote keep the peace, you have to sacrifice justice or truth, and that's never a good trade that God will call you to. But often we fight wars that, that have nothing to do with justice or peace. We just fight wars where we want to win. Since peacemaking is an uh, unnatural, difficult, quite scary thing for us to become, then we have to ask the question, well, how do I become a peacemaker? If I don't like conflict and I, I don't want to deal with any of that and like people already annoy me, like how do I enter in? How, how do I become on a trajectory of peacemaking? Philippians 2, 1 through 5. I think they tell us about this. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind. Having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. 
What does that start looking like in verse three? Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interests of others. Have this in mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus. I find it interesting on the front side there's any participation with the Spirit. Any at all. Then fight to be of one mind. What's the inverse to that? To be okay with not being one mind is, is to say, I don't need you, Holy Spirit. See, to become a peacemaker, we have to, in ways, become a little bit more oblivious to ourselves. We have to no longer be ruled by our needs or our wants, our interests. That's what Philippians is is trying to say in a powerful way. We have to become utterly obsessed with Jesus to the point that we are okay with living lives that are just a little bit less about us and more about what? The kingdom of God that you're invited into. Sam Storm says again in a helpful way, to be a peacemaker, we have to be people who are not always looking at things in terms of How does this affect me? What will people think of me? Have my rights been trampled? Is this fair? In church, that's extremely difficult to do. See, as we drill drill deeply into the topic of peacemaking, we may start to find that it's a little bit synonymous with the concept of humility. What does that mean? You cannot be proud in a peacemaker. to help bring about peace, to work towards it, we'll have to pause always working on angles to get what we want in life by stopping making life all about us in order to step back and from a healthy place, not a place of self-interest, aim at bringing restoration and peace and harmony in situations around us. I believe it could be said this way. Selfishness is a primary cause of war. When we don't get what we want, we lash out and we act out against others. So the only way to bring about peace and stop the cycle of selfishness is to enter into bringing peace through humility, which is what? It's becoming more like Christ. Right? It drives us back to Christ and Christ crucified. What did Christ do for us? He humbled himself to the point of entering into our mess. He didn't have to come down, but he did, not out of selfish desires. He's not going, well, if I go down there, I'm going to get this, this, and this from me and this type of notoriety. He's like, no, if I go down there, I'm going to get killed. His motives weren't for himself, but he entered into our brokenness by coming down to earth and made, there, uh, made a way for there to be peace between a sinful humanity and a holy God. Right There was the tension between us and God And he entered into that to bring peace. How much did he humble himself to the point of death all the way? See, when Christ asks us to be peacemakers, when when we see that this is our calling, we realize that this is a form of tangibly following Christ in things that he already did. Because peace with God was our greatest need and Christ stepped into it we will follow Christ by stepping into the chaos and bringing peace in our world in some ways as well. 
My hard-headedness appreciates and loves that he invites us in and asks something from us that he's already done in a way bigger magnitude himself. Now, one of my fears, one of the things as a pastor that I see all over the place is professing believers stepping into arenas of conflict and they do it out of, out of good reason, right? They see injustices. They're tired of being quiet. They're tired of, of, of pretending that they're okay and not seeing the things going uh, on. But, but I see believers stepping in and not with voices of peacemaking or attitudes of peacemaking or postures of humility and not even tactics of bringing harmony, but instead I see believers entering into the right issues the, the wrong way as in many believers are fighting fire with fire, they're returning hate with hate. And we have to be really careful of this. Peacemakers don't hate people. They can hate injustice. They can hate sin. They can hate the trauma that some people bring about. But to follow Christ and hold hate in your heart towards other people don't go together. I think we can see it again modeled in the life of Jesus though. He rushed into the temple, turned over tables, chased people out with whips. Why? Because they're taking advantage of people. He saw an injustice happen and he went in to care for those who are defenseless. So there's the right issue that he moves into but he also would have given those people a moment to repent in love afterwards. Then think about the cross. Even the people who nailed Christ to the cross, what did he say? Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Right? He didn't say finish this, destroy them. I hate them. Humility, bleeding from the cross, hanging, struggling even to get a breath on the cross. Father, they don't understand what they're doing. That's why peacemaking is so hard because self-interest has to die to be a peacemaker. We must be careful about fostering heart, or hate towards other people while we follow Jesus. It would be a misnomer to believe that Christ could be working in a healthy way in our heart while we aid and foster and promote hatred towards other people. This is again where we have to realize we are called out of the world. In the political system, in the the culture that we find ourselves in, hatred is considered power and Jesus goes, no, no, not in my kingdom though. I've called you to something different. Blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called sons of God. Now going back to that that verse, blessing comes to the peacemakers in that they shall be called sons of God. This is a beautiful word. Let me try and explain. My son Judah, he acts like me in a lot of ways. One of the ways that he's like me is he always has to learn the hard way. Always. He is hard-headed. Right? Me and him are the same way. You tell us, hey, this would be better. We're like, yeah, I hear you, but I'm going to do this. Then after the trauma, we're like, yeah, you're probably right. Right? He, he's like that. We'll often do that exact same thing. I love to joke and say he gets it from his mom. He doesn't. He gets it from me. When my mother sees this, she gets such joy. 
And she says this dumb expression that I hate. She always says that the apple in the tree thing, son, which means that the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. And then she'll follow it by saying, that's definitely your son. Meaning what? You can tell he's yours by the way that he's acting. I see you in him. What is Jesus saying to us about the blessing of being a peacemaker? Right, because the reality is if we are saved, we're already sons of God. But he says, no, you'll be called sons of God. When we become those who bring about peace, those who don't just talk about it, or theorize about it, but act towards it, we become those who the apple doesn't fall far from the tree of our father. Meaning in that moment, we are sons and daughters who actually look like our good father. We take on the family image as we do what the father came to do, to bring about peace. In small and tiny ways, we follow him and others look and go, that that looks like God. What a beautiful picture though, Those who were once lost in sin, poor in spirit, mourning over not being able to control what they're doing, who were once enemies of God. I see their need clearly now. They hunger and thirst for righteousness now, and now they become peacemakers. Those who are once enemies now become more proper image bearers of their father. I hope the awe and wonder of that doesn't wear off. Again, what are the texts that are going to come in a couple more weeks? Salt and light. The light of the world is not our inner light that we let shine. It's the light of God that shines through us into the world. They see us through, or they see the Father through us. That's the beauty of this blessing. We could be so fully redeemed and transformed that we don't just get a free pass out of hell. We actually look like our Father. This message is probably getting a little long, so we'll start wrapping it up, but what do, what do we do with this? How do, I, I, how do we respond with a call to peacemaking? A great first step, maybe just to do some honest wrestling without how you're living right now. Are you one who is so afraid of man that you run from every conflict? That's the case that's going to be difficult to be a peacemaker. The hope is the gospel would show you that you are fully accepted and fully loved no matter what anybody out in the world thinks of you so that you don't have to be so scared of man so that you can run into conflict at times. Maybe on the other side, you are one who's just on the attack. Maybe even to right issues, you're on the attack. And maybe God would ask you today to lower your anger so that you could bring about peace instead of just crushing the enemies. There's good from us just analyzing, how do I deal with conflict right now? And then asking the Holy Spirit to speak into that. In the realms of everyday life, what are great ways to just be peacemakers? Because you might go like, well, I'm not seeing like big brawls on the street all the time. What do you want from me? Sam Storm says it. Part of what we do is we help put out fires before they even start. And those opportunities show up all the time. When someone gossips to you, 
tell them to stop. If they're your brother or sister in Christ, say, I love you. That's sin. We can't do that. What is that? It's stopping conflict. When someone believes the worst about another person and is grieving it in front of you, maybe they're hiding it behind, like, I'm praying for them. Why don't you say, why don't you pray for them, like, quietly or with them then? When someone is bitter or slandering another person, lovingly say, are we believing the best out of them or are you crucifying them? See, there are moments all the time in little ways that we could stop conflict if we were merciful, pure in heart, and decided, no, I'd rather see peace come. I think what some of us may realize in some of the small ways that we haven't put out fires, maybe in the corners of our heart, what we realize is I actually like when people gossip and say things to me because I feel important. Or maybe you're the gossiper. And you realize, man, I, I like to share information because I like to feel important. Again, it brings us back to the gospel. You're fully loved, fully transformed. You don't need to try and find love that way. There's so much more that we could talk about here. Ultimately, peacemaking comes through seeing your identity. Christ came to set you free by giving you peace with God. And then in small, meaningful ways, you go, how can I bring peace as well? You don't turn into a savior complex to fix every problem in the entire world, but there are many things that we could help bring out peace and harmony and be like our father. The world needs to see your father through you, through me. The sad, sad thing that the church needs to lament is for quite a while, the church has done more to bring about strife and disharmony than they have about peacemaking. We can't control what everyone else does, but we can control what we do, though. Say, God, for us in this house, for our house together, may we not do that. Not so that we can be prideful, but just so we can be like our Father. We'll take communion today. The best response in in worship today would just be, God, will you show me how I need to view this? And then as you do, 1 Corinthians 11 says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. See, in worship today, we can gospel ourselves. God, you have loved me. You have cared for me when I fall short and I haven't made peace. There is still your body and your blood sacrificed for me. Thank you that in my poor and spiritness, you're still here and you're still good. Please keep working. Work in my mercy. Work in my heart. Work in my peacemaking. That's the hope. That's what Jesus calls us to. And I pray that that would just become important to us. And I encourage you to say you're gonna have a ton of moments over the next month or so to bring peace or not. May the Holy Spirit help us with that. We stand and pray with me. Holy Spirit, we just plead that you would do your work. If there are areas where we have just been too angry to bring about peace, I pray that you would give us comfort. 
If there are areas that we're too untrusting to lower our anger, may we see that you are sovereign and that we don't have to be God. In the middle of unrest, in the middle of chaos, may we see that you are still in control and not surprised. So may our faith be in you more and more and more to where a man and a loss of comfort and chaos do not scare us anymore. But that we would see a call to follow you. Lord, I pray for that for redemption's hell for my own heart. Yeah, we will fall short, but Lord, will you give us victories? May people see the beauty of who you are by how we deal with and approach and navigate tough situations. May it be said of us that we are peacemakers. I pray that you would even bring encouragement where we see certain situations coming forward that peace was brought and your glory was made more evident. Holy Spirit, work in us. Thank you for your patience and kindness. I thank you for your goodness. I thank you that you have not just saved us and walked away, but you have invited us in your kingdom and asked us to participate. May we see the glory of that. Would you be honored today? We pray that in your name. We love you, Father. Amen.